0: Have you given much thought to how you would like to be buried?
1: Um, I'm going with my mother. There, please broadcast that so that everybody knows. Um, (laughs) And that I don't have to make any other forward expressions of it.
0: We may not like to think about it, and it is grim in what's been a very grim year but innovation in the way we bury the dead is booming. You wanna be buried, cremated? How about composting? Washington just became the first state to allow human composting. The body is placed in a container with straw and wood chips for four weeks, and the remains, now clean soil, are returned to loved ones. Water cremation. Water and potassium hydroxide heated to 305 degrees dissolve the body. Kia ora, I'm Jesse Chang and today on The Detail, a look at the different options for the ultimate end. The Ministry of Health recently closed submissions on changes to burial law, but you might be surprised by what you can already do.
2: He wanted a Viking's burning pyre, so they built a couple of metres high and two or three metres long full of wood and then they placed him in this and set it on fire
0: environmentally friendly and taking up less space are part of the driving force behind new ways of burial. But what is frankly too distasteful? And what about cultural beliefs?
1: Is the world ready for it? I'm not too sure. I think that there are certain sensibilities that people still hold.
0: It's been said that there are only two things in the world we can be certain of death and taxes. And while it's perfectly normal to debate the latter, talking about death or burying a loved one is a bit different.
1: I think our comfort levels around death have changed dramatically over the last 20 years, over the last 30 years. And I think a lot of that has got to do with the comfort of Māori around death.
0: Linda Waimārie-Nikora is a Professor of Indigenous Studies at the University of Auckland. She's also the co-director of Ngā Pai o Matanga, also known as New Zealand's Māori Centre of Research Excellence.
1: Taking loved ones home, having them in the home, taking them to the marae, uh, treating with them as if they were still alive. And so I think that Māori have actually um, shown others there are different ways of of mourning and grieving, and that it's not a conversation that's around detaching, getting over, leaving someone behind, uh, but more a conversation about how can we take this person forward in our lives in ways that are functional and meaningful to us uh, and to our future. So uh, I think generally New Zealanders are maturing uh, around uh, how we treat with death and how we treat with conversations around death and dying. It doesn't mean to say that uh, we're all totally comfortable about that. There is still some awkwardness. I mean, there's the off idea that our colonial origins uh, as a nation has also brought with it various attitudes around having a stiff upper lip you know, sort of sucking it up and being staunch, not letting our feelings show. But I think that we're able to reflect on that and say, well, okay, that's functional for some people, but it's not functional for all people. And what are different ways of doing things?
0: For Māori, that means a tanihana.
1: The go to explanation, I suppose, in terms of tangi, is a three day event where there are mourning rituals that take place that culminate in both the disposal of the human remains as well as uh, coming together and and sharing food, breaking bread, uh, providing a lighter mood environment for people to return back to ordinary daily lives. That doesn't mean to say that things are over. That family uh, and those who have been bereaved still need care and support for many months, sometimes years into the future. And so tangihana is just simply one set of rituals. Sometimes that's three days, sometimes it's two days, sometimes it's one day, sometimes it's five days. Much of it depends on how quickly a family and a community of bereaved can come together. Sometimes it depends on how long a family wants to stay together. So what happens at a tangihana, there's lots of talking, Uh, Lots of crying, uh, but all very much in a ritualised format.
0: For Muslims, bodies are to be buried as soon as possible and placed on their right side. Graves should also face the direction of Mecca. Cremation is forbidden. Both Buddhists and those of the Hindu religion allow cremation, and they have their own funeral rites, including mantras and chanting. Europeans traditionally have a service or a wake, where words are spoken about the deceased. Historically, at a church, followed by a burial or cremation. But traditional ideas on that are changing. Will Harvey is a senior reporter at Stuff, who's been looking into the legal ways you can bury someone in New Zealand.
2: The most common way is a cremation. About seventy percent of funerals involve a cremation of some sort, and uh, the. Next biggest category would be a traditional burial in a casket in the ground in a graveyard, and then you start to get into some of the more niche territory. So you can be buried at sea. There's five uh, sort of drop zones off of the major cities. Um,
0: so Whereabouts are they? Uh,
2: they're off mostly on the uh, east coast, and they're I think they're 50 kilometers out to sea and in waters of 500 meters depth. And apparently, if you go to the nautical charts, the maps of, of um, you know, offshore waters, they are very clearly marked. Um, and they're not the sort of places where people go fishing. So they've been well, sort of well planned. Possibly the biggest new thing that's been allowed in New Zealand recently, in the last sort of 10 years, is, is a natural burial. So they set aside a piece of land. Local council does this. The bodies are placed there with no everything is biodegradable so the clothing and the casket and the shroud and there's no metal allowed no glue uh, in the wood everything just gently biodegrades away and on top of the grave is often planted a bush or a tree or something that marks the spot and there's typically no headstone or memorial plaque at least right at the at the burial site um so i think almost every Council now has some of these natural burial sites in in New Zealand. The first one is in Wellington and there's two in Christchurch and and a third plant. So if this interests uh, listeners, they can certainly uh, Google that pretty quickly and find out what's happening in in their council area.
0: But there have been other more unusual methods as well.
2: Probably the most famous one is the Canterbury sculptor Lou Summers, who died a couple of years ago but was sick for quite some time and so was able to plan his own funeral, and in that case, um, he wanted a a Vikings burning pyre. So they built a, you know, it was a couple of meters high and two or three meters long, full of wood, and then they placed him in this and set it on fire. And uh, I wasn't there, but um, from descriptions, it sounds like it was um, quite a celebration of his life and his chosen way of. Leaving this earth.
0: I would assume there would have been a lot of paperwork around something like that.
2: Yeah, it turns out he had to do, or his family did. They had 17 pages of uh, approvals and, and paperwork they had to get through. They had to be a certain distance from an existing um, graveyard. This stuff isn't allowed in, in the cities. You had to be in a rural area where the neighbors wouldn't be affected and, and that kind of thing. So, yeah, it apparently went on, quite, took quite a time. And as I say, involved a ton of paperwork, but they managed to get it done. And since then, I'm told there have been a few more of these in uh, Golden Bay, I think, and in, near Wanaka, using sort of the template that the Summers family managed to uh, to get over the line.
0: What are some of the new burial practices that people want to
2: introduce? Yeah, by far the, my favourite one and by far the most in- interesting one, I think, is, is one called water cremation. Essentially, they take the body and they put it in a stainless steel drum uh, with a lid and they add hot water and a chemical called potassium hydroxide. And after three or four hours, the body has almost completely dissolved except for the bones and the teeth and so on. The
0: official name for the process is alkaline hydrolysis. How big of an impact is this really having?
2: This uses about one-sixth the amount of energy as flame cremation and has about one-fourth uh, the amount of emissions that come from it.
0: It's been held as a green burial, good for the environment. The bones are then ground up into a fine ash and returned to loved ones, much like a fire cremation.
2: So this isn't legal in New Zealand yet. The law is ambiguous about whether this can be allowed. And so the, one of the main people who's pushing for it Debbie Richards is just waiting for Parliament to, uh, to make it legal and the Ministry of Health in its um, public consultation has said, yes, this is the kind of thing we want to allow and, and they're going to make it so that as these new technologies and techniques come along, Parliament doesn't need to act so that civil servants in the, um, in the ministry can, can recommend changes and, and those can be brought into legality by changing the regulations rather than the legislation.
0: Right. And so when is that kind of coming through or has it come through already?
2: No, it hasn't happened yet. So the Law Commission, this takes a long time, this area of of, uh, reform. The Law Commission started looking at this in 2010. They managed to get a report out five years later, 2015 or so. uh, And then the Ministry of Health managed to get its consultation document out earlier this year. And then it was held up by COVID. So they finished their consultation in uh, October 31st and... I asked them, you know, when they might get around to doing something else or something, you know, progressing things. And they said, well, maybe next year, March, April, we'll, we'll have summarized the public consultation. Uh, and then they'll have to make some recommendations to the, to the politicians and get buy-in from them and then get an act into Parliament and then get Parliament to act. So um, I think it'll be some years yet before we see reform of this.
0: The public consultation wasn't just about introducing new ways of burial, though. It was also taking a look at the current law, such as the Burial and Cremation Act
2: 1964. This is such an old piece of legislation that some of the penalties for violating the Act, like um, an improper, um, uh, the word is escaping me, when you dig up a body, if you do that improperly, you can be fined 200 pounds, pounds being this the currency that was abolished in New Zealand in 1967. So that's the kind of thing that Ministry of Health wants to tidy up. And there's also a bunch of obscure paperwork that is prescribed by the Act. So a bunch of certificates that have to be filled in and who can fill them in and when.
0: Are you able to talk a bit, a bit more about what other changes that Ministry of Health will be looking to I guess tidy up and fix up? because of the public consultation but also because of you know how old this act is
2: well the funny thing is that is that Ministry of Health decided that they quite like the status quo uh, of how things go not not in terms of technology but in terms of how the the funeral sector operates which is 10 20 50 years ago um, every community every community of a certain size would have a funeral homework that was typically run by a family that passed the business down Um through the generations, but in the last 10 years or so, there has been um, a corporatization of the sector. So, big companies are snapping up these family run operations. One of the biggest ones is based in, one of the biggest operators in New Zealand is based in Sydney, a company called Invocare, and they they went on a buying spree in New Zealand in uh, 2017, 2018. They bought I don't know, I can't remember ten funeral homes or something, and have been operating those um, under a, you know an employee corporate model. And the ministry is help is happy with that. They didn't think that was a bad thing, and, and maybe they're probably right about that. I mean, but the, the problem is is around regulation and whether there are smaller funeral homes that are not able to show the appropriate dignity to the dead, um, and overcharging. And so the big funeral home companies we hoping for stronger regulation. They wanted funeral directors to have qualifications. They wanted a central registry. They wanted um, some investigatory powers given to some uh, some bureaucrats so they could look into this if there were problems. And none of those none of those powers really exist under the um, existing act. So it's very unregulated, and the Ministry of Health, as I said, was by and large happy with the status quo there, and the big. Corporate guys want want more regulation to make sure the little guys are uh, properly behaved, and perhaps um, the big guys are looking after their uh, economic self-interest in that.
0: A growing population, less space, and an increasing focus on the environment are all affecting the burial industry. But how does that mesh with cultural practices? Linda Waimārie-Nikora says more and more Māori are choosing cremation, even though historically that wasn't an option.
1: There's some really, really exciting things on the horizon in terms of um, the different forms of disposal uh, that are being researched and investigated. 20 years ago, 30 years ago, when the idea of cremation came across people's um, paths, people within the Māori world sort of thought, oh no, no, we can't have that. That's just outside the scope of possibility or comprehendability. Yet uh, it's now pretty much a common practice in the Māori world. As the land available for internment becomes less and less and less, uh, the spaces in which we're able to actually deposit human remains become smaller and smaller and smaller. Uh, so cremation has been, been on the cards as a real option, is uh, increasingly been pursued by Māori throughout New Zealand and around the world.
0: So water cremation isn't such a big step up from current practices. But another method that was recently made legal in Washington and making a lot of noise is a different story.
2: Interesting premises have an interesting concept. In Washington state now, it is allowing the first time to allow the composting of human bodies. Mm -hmm. They actually turn your body into compost. Yeah,
0: I had had many questions for you at first because I was, and I felt really dumb asking some of them. But I,
2: I think they're natural questions. You get this as soil. Yeah, that's it would how come it's back, given like back to them, you, essentially like a mulch. Yeah, like, okay, and it's yours. It's your your loved one's uh-huh. body. It's not a mix of other people's. it would right. be just yours and with like you wood chips and things like that. Yeah. They're saying right, and they, yeah. they blend they blend it in and it helps decompose faster. Right. And then if you want, you have a flower garden. And if that was what uh, your loved one loved doing,
1: I think the reality is that everything. Decomposes. We all decompose and make a, our way back into the natural cycle in some form or fashion. And so, um, while I can get my head around it as a um, pragmatic solution uh, to disposal, it does still have you know a little bit of a knee-jerk. My stomach turns a little kind of response to that possibility when you dispose of green waste uh, into a company whose business it is to compost material, you know, that might turn up in a compost bag at a garden centre. That in turn might be spread on your veggie garden to um, make your vegetables look beautiful when they turn up on your dinner plate. So the question and the discussion to be had is, okay, if our understanding of composting with respect to human remains can be seen in tandem with that commercial activity. Is that what we want to be engaged with? Is that how we want to enter back into the food chain, uh, if you like it? What is your stance on it? <laughs> What's my own personal stance? Would I like to end up on someone's dinner plate? Well, by the time I end up on someone's dinner plate, I I will no longer be me. Um, hmm, yeah. So is the world ready for it? I'm not too sure. I think that there are certain sensibilities that people still hold. I think there are certain areas of life that are seen as tapu. And when I use the term tapu, I'm not using the term in in a sense that's often translated to mean sacred, but more in a sense of contamination. So when I say that that object there is tapu, what I mean or, or what the what the res- intended response from others is is that um, everyone is supposed to stay away from that object because there might be some risk associated with it, or alternatively, it has a contaminating effect. Uh, so I think that when we're talking about tapu in that particular way, it brings into the conversation the things that we need to be doing and careful of and in order to ensure our wellness and our safety at the same time. So I think that when it comes to the decomposition or the the composting um, conversation, those would be some of the um, very, very keen um, aspects of the conversation that would be pursued.
0: Have you given much thought to how you would like to be buried?
1: Um, I'm going with my mother. Yeah, please broadcast that so that everybody knows um, (laughs) and that (laughs) I don't have to to make any other forward um, expressions of it. Look, at the end of the day, it's not my decision. The people around me, uh, my family members, they will come to a decision on what's the best way forward for my remains at that point in time. You know, I will make utterances about what I would prefer, what I'd like to see happen. I could possibly even put it in writing, but at the end of the day, it's not my decision. It'll be up to uh, my immediate family and the broader communities that um, want to claim me.
0: That's it for today. I'm Jessie Chang. The detail is brought to you by newsroom.co.nz and made possible by RNZ and NZ On Air. You can get us downloaded free to your mobile device every weekday from any podcast platform. And if you're using Apple, leave us a rating so other people can find us too. This episode was engineered by Rangi Poik and produced by Sharon Brett-Kelly. Thanks to Linda Waimaria, Nikora and Will Harvey. Kakete anō.